Pastor Xavier Reese and the cleansing power of the royal blood. Jesus, when he got to the throne of grace, he presented his blood on our behalf. Remember the Old Testament? Exodus, blood on the doorpost, the lentil. The angel of death saw it, and literally, in the Hebrew, he leaped over. No judgment. Jesus presented his blood before the throne of God, and those that are under his blood, no judgment comes upon them. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Whether in politics or religion, the clarion call of our day is tolerance. Unfortunately, however well-meaning and harmonious the intention, the simple truth is this mindset is responsible for leading many far off the path of abundant life. Here, with straightforward teaching from the Word of God, is Pastor Xavier with his less-than-politically-correct study from the book of Hebrews. Let's listen. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 through 6. And the message entitled, The Superior Ministry of Jesus. What an incredible picture we have been presented regarding the high priesthood of Jesus Christ at this point. He's superior to the prophets. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the first Adam. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to Joshua. He's superior to Aaron. He's superior to the Levitical priesthood. He's just plain superior. You can't get any better. And for that reason, God speaks to us in these last days through his son, as Hebrews 1, 2 said. There is no other way that God speaks to man. Now, that is very difficult for people to accept. They say, you're too narrow-minded. You just are too strict. Are you saying that everybody else is lost that doesn't come through Jesus? Read my lips. Yes. And we shouldn't say that smugly. We should say it with wet eyes, a broken heart, and bent knees. That's why we pray for people to come to Jesus. That's why we live the way we do, so people can see Jesus. Because there's only that way. In chapter 8, the author Paul now declares the superior service of the high priesthood of Jesus over the Old Testament service. He's dealt with the Levitical priesthood. He's dealing now with the service, the nature of the service. And he gives two reasons. He divides it just a small chapter, short, uh, verse 1 through 6, the first reason is that Jesus officiates his high priesthood in heaven. And then from 7 to 13, Jesus officiates his high priesthood on the basis of the new covenant. And those are the two reasons that he really nails everything down. He kind of brings things together. And so what we want to do is focus on the superior service of Jesus as he officiates his high priesthood based on three facts, verse 1 through 6. Let me read them for us. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer up both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law 
who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. The superior service of Jesus as he officiates his priesthood, is based on three facts. Verse 1 and 2, the service of Jesus is in a better place. Verse 3 and 4, the service of Jesus is by a better sacrifice. In verse 5 and 6, the service of Jesus is under a better covenant. Three good reasons. And he just nails these Hebrews. The service of Jesus in a better place. This is paramount. Notice first in verse 1. Jesus is the proficient high priest in heaven. Jesus and his high priest office is the preeminent point of what he's going to discuss. He has said much about him, but this points to what he's going to discuss. He says, now this is the main point of the things we are saying. The author's not referring here to the sum conclusion of all that has preceded, as some think. He's not saying therefore. He's not using that word. The author's not saying that this is the summary, as some say also, that he's summarizing. He's not summarizing. The author is calling attention to the main or central point to be discussed in verse 1 and 2. In fact, the phrase main point means the chief point. The crowning affirmation, the high priesthood of Jesus. He said a lot of things about the priesthood of Jesus, the high priesthood, but now he's going to focus on some important things. Yes, the foundation is based on all that has been said and the following progression of the rational thing of Jesus, but he's going to focus in on a detail on here. And so notice Jesus is a very qualified high priest. We have such a high priest. Such a high priest. He is better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. Those were the two mediators. You know, it's like you, today everybody's into high performance, their cars, you know, and they get these little things and they put all kinds of money into them and everything else. And you think you're hot, you get out there and you've got, you know, and, and all of a sudden this guy pulls up next to you and he opens up his hood and you look and you, you're even embarrassed. You don't want to lift your hood up. So much more. You know what I mean? I mean, you think you're hot until he comes along. It's all comparative, right? It's all relative. In fact, we have been told at the end of chapter 7, verse 26, that he is the epitome of holiness. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, and defiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. He is the finished work of salvation, verse 27 of 7. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. And the author is going to focus on this in the middle of our text. And then in verse 28, he was appointed by the Father. For the law appointed as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been perfected forever. This is not just his presence in heaven. It's not what the author is saying. 
But he, his presence is with preparation to work on our behalf. Such a high priest. You can't get any better. When you have cancer, when you have a disease, or you have some critical surgery to be made, you're going to seek out the best. You don't want to take a chance. You can't get better than Jesus. Notice he says that Jesus is our high priest in a posture of rest. He's sitting. He is sitting, indicating that the work is completed. The Old Testament priest would never think of seating. He wouldn't sit down. The high priest was always walking about. There was no chair in the tabernacle. The bells on the bottom of his garment were ringing. And again, this is the high priest that goes into the Holy of Holies once a year. The rope is tied on his foot. It was always, you can hear the sound, hear the sound. He's working, he's working. He never sits, he never rests. There's always work to be done. No priest or high priest, particularly in the Old Testament, would ever sit in the Holy of Holies. Okay, Lord, I'm here. <laughs> the clear implication is that their work was never finished. Notice Jesus is sitting at the place of power, the right hand of the throne. He is in a position of exaltation, honor, and authority. He's already told us in chapter 1, verse 3, that after he purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. Chapter 2, verse 9, crown with glory and honor. Chapter 4, verse 14, we can come before the throne of grace. He's there. And it's all referring and implied in direct quotations of Psalm 110, verse 4. The Melchizedek order. He's already told these Hebrews that he is the apostle and high priest of our profession, and they were to consider him. He's enthroned to rule, and they had agreed with God about his role, and now they were looking somewhere else. He says, think again. Examine what you're doing. And so he's exercising supreme authority, waiting for what? For his enemies to be made a footstool. Again, Psalm 110, verse 1. That's what he's waiting for. The work of salvation is done. There's no bells heard in heaven. There's no rope tied to his leg. <laughs> it's done. But notice Jesus sitting at the throne of the highest privilege, the majesty in the heavens. It is God's kingly throne of royalty in the third heaven where God dwells. And the Bible teaches that there's three heavens. A lot of Christians think there's seven heavens. No, that's, that's human philosophy and religion. There's three heavens, the Bible declares. The first one where the birds fly. The second one where... Outer space, some spacious fly, the stellar heaven. And the third is where God dwells. But in our logical mind, we figure first heaven, close. Second heaven, a lot farther. Third heaven, way out there. But God is transcendent. He's ever-present. I don't think he's way out there. Paul says he's near, near, nigh, even as you think, as you call upon him. I think that... There's two worlds going on at the same time under a different molecular structure. <laughs> this room's full of angels, good angels and bad angels. There's warfare going on in here. We're not even being bothered by it. Two worlds at the same time. Jesus walked right through the wall. Remember Stephen? He saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne to receive the first martyr of the church in Acts 7.55. Now notice secondly in verse 2, Jesus is the presiding high priest 
in heaven. He's not only preeminent, but he's a presiding priest. Jesus is a minister in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary. And the word minister is made up of two words. The first one means belonging to the people, and the second one means work. So the work that he does is for the benefit of the people who are lost and those who are redeemed. He's not there for himself. Please understand that, okay? He's there for you. He's there for me. In fact, this word is use of public office of one who serves at their own expense to officiate that office. In fact, that's what public servants used to be of government. They would serve. Usually they were wealthy businessmen or rich people, and they would serve the community at their own expense, benevolently. Now, the whole title of public servant is oxymoron today because everybody's in for security. They want to do the least as possible. And they think you're the servant. Jesus is up there ministering. And he's ministering for us due to his own expense. It cost him. It didn't cost you. It didn't cost me. It cost him. He has flipped the bill. In other words, the Septuagint uses this word for the service of the priests, the God and man. But notice the minister of the sanctuary, meaning the holy things, referring to the holy of holies, and it's due to the presence of God. And it's repeated through chapter 9 many times, chapter 10, chapter 13. The reason the holy of holies is called holy holy because God's presence would come upon there. Uh, the holy mountain, because God was there. Uh, once God isn't there... There's nothing holy about the place. You understand? It's because of the presence of God. And so Jesus is officiating in the true tabernacle, he says. He points this out very clearly. And of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. Here you see the distinction between the two and the contrast. The true tabernacle literally means the genuine. The one that God erected, not man, constructed. And the word there, tabernacle, is literally tent. Sometimes people say, well, why is it that the book of Hebrews doesn't mention the temple? You say that the temple was still present at that time. It hadn't been destroyed. Why didn't he mention it? Because the temple was not God's idea. The temple was David's idea. And God, by concession, allowed him to build it. In fact, he says, did I ever ask you to build me a temple? But God is the one that commanded the tabernacle to be built because it was after the pattern of things in heaven, as we'll see. And that's why it picks up the tent, okay? The true literally means the genuine, the real. Not in contrast to some false one, but to the copy. That's the contrast. The shadow and types of things on earth in the wilderness that represented things in heaven. In fact, Jesus uses the same word in John 15, 1. I am the true vine, the genuine vine in John 15, 1. The physical is in contrast to the spiritual. Notice that. The heavenly is in contrast to the earthly, and the temporal is in contrast to the eternal. You can't miss it. The ministry of Jesus to the Old Testament priests might be compared to a person allowing another person to communicate their needs to someone else. Because of their high office, they have a liaison, a go-between. 
And you communicate to that person and he walks in. But the problem is that person may not communicate exactly. And then you're privileged to walk right in and to express your own mind. A world of difference. One of the problems when I go somewhere that we have to translate is to be able to trust the translator to communicate what I'm saying adequately. I don't know. You see, if I started here and I gave Bud here uh, certain information and we started passing it down and all the way down, all the way down, up in the balcony, back here, by the time I got back, I wouldn't even recognize what I said. It would have been changed altogether. That's the problem with channels. <laughs> Communication breaks down. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, geometry says. It's the same for communication. Jesus left heaven, as you know, to become man in order to die for man and to return in the presence of God in heaven to represent man. He emptied himself, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 on down to 11, and he took on the form of a servant, and he did it unto the extreme obedience of death. He alone did it. That's why in the cross he says it is finished in John 19, 30. It was completely done. No more need of an earthly high priest. No more sacrifices to be made. No more anything. The true temple of God has always been in heaven. The Jews understood this. Just like you and I understand a lot of things, but we have to be reminded every time. <laughs> Just like your kids know that they should turn off the lights, but you have to be reminded them all the time. Pick up their dirty clothes, but you have to remind them all the time. Listen to Solomon in 2 Chronicles 6.18. The principle was acknowledged by Solomon. He says, but will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. Solomon understood that. This is just a tangible thing that we can relate to. But we're not foolish enough to believe that you live here. <laughs> that you're confined to this temple. You remember as we studied Isaiah... Isaiah had his eyes on Uzziah the king. And God had to rattle his cage and remind him that the real king was still on the throne. Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphims, each with six wings. Two they covered their face, two their feet, and with two they flew. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah had to be reminded. He had his eyes on the king on earth. God says, Isaiah, I'm still on the throne and we're right on schedule. Think about that as the difficult times come in your life. There is no other person who can do service for any man regarding salvation. Only the man, Christ Jesus. In fact, in chapter 2 of Hebrews 17 and 18, it says that any order of priests such as Aaron or the Levitical priesthood is invalid and really is fraudulent towards people. For he alone is a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God and able to help those who are tempted. No one will ever understand your deep hurts, your disappointments, 
your difficulties like Jesus. Thank God for each other. We can listen, we can pray, we can cry with each other, we can rejoice with each other, but no one will ever understand and know what you go through like Jesus. Not even your wife, not even your husband, not your children, not your friends. They're legitimate, but he knows it completely. Any person promising to bring a person to God or to do service for them because of their special position with God is a liar and a deceiver. For Christ alone passed through the heavens, being able to sympathize with man's weaknesses, Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 has told us. There's nobody else. So when someone wants to give me an appearance that they are closer to God than I, I don't believe it. I understand that person has a wrong concept of the gospel. The service of Jesus is in a better place in heaven. This is the important point. Miles apart, <laughs> thousands, millions. Notice secondly in verse 3 and 4. The service of Jesus is by a better sacrifice. In verse 3, you get the comparison. Though there's distance apart, there are some similarities. The comparisons is first. Now, the customary Levitical practice in verse 7 there, for every high priest is appointed to offer up both gifts and sacrifice. Every high priest would offer up gifts, as you know, to God. But also, he would have to offer sacrifice first for himself them for the others as high priests. And we've already seen that in chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. He would be taken from among men to do the service of God for men, but he himself had to offer sacrifices. Okay? Nobody's sinless. I know sometimes we look to people who God has used tremendously, but they're men like anybody else. Very important. The Day of Atonement is in particular view of the high priest, Leviticus 16. And he would, after many sacrifices then expiate for the sins of the nation, taking the two goats. One would be the one to die, the other one would be the one to carry away the sins of the nation in the wilderness. And once a year, the nation would rejoice, the sins of the nation were gone. But the next year, he had to do it all over again. The Lord Jesus had to comply with these practices to an extent. Notice that therefore it is necessary that this one, speaking of Jesus, also have something to offer. He offered himself, not animal sacrifices, and the tense is once and for all, the final act. Listen to Hebrews 9.11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. In other words, in heaven. Listen to me well. Jesus, when he got to the throne of grace, he presented his blood on our behalf. Remember the Old Testament? Exodus, blood on the doorpost, the lentil. The angel of death saw it, and literally, in the Hebrew, he leaped over. No judgment. Jesus presented his blood before the throne of God, and those that are under his blood, no judgment comes upon them. The judgment is accepted falling on the sun. Pastor Xavier Reese with a reminder of the ultimate sacrifice, one made for you and me.
Now you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But we'll also be presenting the conclusion of this study right here next time. So I hope you'll be back then for that. But if you won't be able to tune in, the next best thing is to request your own copy on CD. The title you want to ask for is The Superior Ministry of Jesus. It's available for only $4. And sharing this message also is a great way to encourage a friend or loved one. Once again, the title to ask for is The Superior Ministry of Jesus. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. How far in advance did God the Father plan the death of His Son? Find out more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Hope you'll be back then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com